friends welcome back to the ninth episode of zach and brian watch the watchman and uh while this is not our final episode this is the final episode of the season we will be covering the ninth episode of the show see how they fly and uh zach we're here man we made it to the end it's it's pretty weird i it's come up so fast i just i don't know so I also think you know, we've said this in the past, but I, I do want to publicly thank HBO for sending us the screeners for this. It has made this process so much smoother than if we didn't have those screeners. And it's allowed us to make our own opinions about things before sort of everyone else has an opinion about it, which, uh-huh. you know, I'm sure the people out there are listening saying, like, you weak minded fools, you should always make your own opinions. And I'm not saying that we don't, but it's so much easier to make an opinion in a vacuum. <clears throat> Than it is with yes, everybody else for sure, for sure, for sure. Because like the second you hear someone else's take or opinion, uh, there is the chance for it to pollute your own thinking. Even even if you have like the strongest will and and you know the the most critical, critically savvy mind, it's just it's just so hard not to take in some of that, even subconsciously. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess before we get into the the sort of meat of the episode, because this is the finale, let's just talk generally about the episode, and then we'll sort of get into some of the minutiae. What did you think of the ending? Did they more or less stick the landing? I think they did. I think they really did stick the landing. The thing that surprised me the most about this episode is just how succinctly it tied up really every loose end and answered every question. Uh, there is one question to not answer. There, well, is lube it guy. like the big series? What? Lube guy, you're right, of which I'm fine with. I did not sure. want yes, an answer agreed. to Lube guy agreed. at all. I saw someone joking on Twitter that like they needed an answer to Lube guy. I do not need an answer to that. I think that that is a wonderful, beautiful mystery. Yes. Um, but I I was just going through the episode and kind of every time something came up that just like checked into, you know, check that off, even even things that I didn't necessarily expect there to be an answer to, which we'll talk about are things that I didn't even think needed an answer. Um, the way thing the way it all fit together, like a meticulously crafted watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I was very impressed by that. I agree. I, I think that it more or less stuck the ending. I think I enjoyed this episode more than either of the last two. Because I would I th- agree. Be- because I, I partially, we've talked about this before. Like the first six episodes felt very much like one show, and then seven and eight felt like a different show. 
Yeah, and I think that this episode really does go a long way towards uniting those two shows. Agreed. In a satisfying way. Yes, I agree. Um, so I have like 10 bullet points that I want us to talk about. Uh, feel free to throw in anything else. I also want, I have lots of like little quotes I want to talk about, but mm -hmm. there are some sort of just, just big things I wanted to talk about. Sure. The first one is, did you see the Lady True heel turn coming? What do you, what do you mean by heel turn? So because I don't, I don't think i necessarily trusted her ever i don't know if i trusted her but i don't think i saw her trying to steal that dr manhattan for herself i was not very surprised by that my question going into all of this was what is lady true's relationship to the seventh k and bob benson um i'm sorry i'm gonna keep calling him bob benson so will I. <laughs> um we're talking about Senator Keene. Keen. Senator Keen, the young, the younger Senator Keene. Since, yeah, we, since we yes. see both this episode, we do, we do. But I'm going to call him Bob Benson for the purposes of this podcast. Um, that's what I was kind of, you know, iffy on and kind of wondering where that was going to all shake out. Um, I was not surprised at all by the, as you describe it, the Lady True heel turn. Nor was I surprised, and I, I doubt you were either, by the revelation of her parentage. No, you know, we had talked about there being a number of options for who her father was going to be. And, you know, um, I think that there, I think, yeah, I think that there were viable options, viable alternatives that we sort of talked ourselves into. But Vite mm -hmm. makes so much sense. It, it does. I think. I think I had maybe expressed a little bit of doubt when we talked about it last, just because I, I couldn't really think of a scenario that would make it work. And then this episode delivers the like most obvious and fitting solution to that in, in the best possible way. Um, of course, Ozymandias has a personal sperm bank uh, <laughs> hiding behind a painting because yes. uh, he has also, never given himself to a woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I feel like one of the things that we had said, or if we hadn't said it, I thought it, was like, he can't be her father. He doesn't fuck. <laughs> right, right. Which I'm so glad that this confirmed. Of all the things that, that this show added and affirmed in Watchmen canon, it's that Ozymandias does not fuck. Yes, um, which is which is important <laughs> for us all to acknowledge. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I also ha I have to pat myself on the back here a little bit. I did guess that the save me D was going to say save me daughter. You did. You did guess that. So um, you're welcome, listeners. No. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, can I go ahead? Can yeah. I talk? Yeah, something something along that line, uh, kind of going back to talking about how everything fits together so succinctly. I I was very mad at myself for not putting this together, how, you know, there was a, a kind of a line of dialogue early in the season that alluded to the fact that Ozymandias had been in, uh, you know, captivity for somewhere around three or four years, I think, yes, at that time. Four years, yeah. And, and then um, in the last episode, we found out that uh, Dr. Manhattan, Cal, however you want to refer to him, sent Ozymandias to 
the moon of Jupiter in 2009. And yes. so that would put us in the past in the Aussie, confirming that. But I, I didn't even put that together necessarily when we were talking about it. Um, and then allowing that to line up with every kind of everything else that was happening. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I was a little annoyed that I didn't think about that beforehand. Well, we um, had talked about a couple of times whether or not the Vite stuff was happening concurrently with mm -hmm. the other stuff on the show. And now we know definitively it was not happening concurrently. That it right. was happening you know, a long time before. And that the entirety of the show, he was already on Earth. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we had seen him previously. Yes, we had. <laughs> Um, which this episode was just a number of about, you know, moment after moment of me realizing what was going to happen about 10 or 15 seconds before yes, exactly. it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll get back to Dwight in a minute. Um, but I thought that, that they handled the Lady True revelation pretty well. Mm -hmm. I like that the show did not leave that for a third act of the final episode reveal that it was kind of, it got it out there right in the beginning so that we could sort of deal with that over the course of the episode. Um, I also want to say Hong Chow was fucking incredible in this episode. She was yeah. so good. Yeah. She, very, very good. There's a line she delivers that, um, <laughs> it's um I, I wrote it down hang on where is it oh so when she's when she gets Vite out of his carbon freeze he she says were those bodies you wrote that with and he says yes and she goes wow there must be a cool story behind that <laughs> yes. the way she said it was so perfect oh man i love that so much uh she was just fantastic throughout this whole episode um and I remember thinking when we first met her in episode four, how she was such an interesting character and we didn't get a lot of, we got none of her in the first three episodes. And then we got none of her really in the fifth or sixth episodes. We just got that one episode with her. The fifth episode was the looking glass episode. And the sixth mm -hmm. episode was the taking the, the memory episode. Yeah. Or the nostalgia yeah. rather, you know, so we didn't get much of lady true this season, but what we got was great. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah agreed um yeah lady true was very good i thought the um actor who played her mom slash daughter uh Byung also had some really good scenes in this episode Absolutely. um yeah uh, the, i thought especially the scene where Lady True told her that, she, or was about to tell her that she was her mother, but she had already suspected it. Um, I I thought that that scene was really good, and that entire sequence was very good with with uh, Bite waking back up and coming out of carbon freeze, you know, yes. <laughs> essentially. A um, couple of Bite moments that I do want to mention, and then I think I think from earlier in the episode. Um, the scene where where Vite is crawling out of that hole in full costume with a horseshoe in his mouth. Yes. 
beautiful, beautiful, beautiful physical comedy there. I loved it. Um, there was a lot of good physical, physical comedy from Vite this episode. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, a quick answer to a question that we had last episode. He does confirm that the squids are automated. Yes. Um, so that that fixes that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about Vite, but kind of later in the episode. Sure, so sure. I'll wait. Yeah, so that was, you know, the the Hong Chao, the Lady True rather sort of origin story. I thought was well handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's see, the Vite stuff. I, I did just want to also point out that I did not see him catching the bullet ahead of time. Oh yeah, and that's such a Vite thing. Like I, I should have seen that. There, there's oh for sure. For, yeah, there's yeah. no reason I shouldn't have thought of that. But you know. I didn't, and but that that was a great moment, and that was really the first time we've seen, because you know, Vite was not just a brilliant man. I mean, you know, if you remember, he picks up the comedian and throws him out a window. He was a physical specimen, right? But we, don't, we never really focus on that part of him, and this is the first part of the show that really showed his physicality in any way. It sh- shows that he still has it because it's a direct callback to that scene in original original Watchmen where he catches the bullet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that that does remind me. I did really want to talk about that scene because it brings the entire kind of Vite flashback aspect of the show into clarity because we find out that this entire thing has just been a production. Um, that all of the servants, even the game warden, were all just playing this game that he had set up. Um, the trial, all of it, was just a a you know grand production that Vite put on to entertain himself essentially yeah and, and he basically says you know, the most heart the whole the whole scene with the game warden was heartbreaking uh-huh. um, and he's like you know, why'd you make me wear a mask and he says because masks make men cruel and you know a worthy opponent and he says was i worthy and he said no <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he yeah a hell of a show brutal yeah i mean did the show really did not uh, shy away from making Vite the biggest bastard. Yes. Um, and then I just want to talk about how the sort of combination of uh, Empire Strikes Back slash Goldfinger uh, <laughs> that, that puts him in, in, in essentially Carbon Freeze, how just, you know, we talked about how we saw him already and we never suspected that. It's just such a wonderfully comic booky thing um and it just it just works and i think that that that's one of the nicest things about this show is that it tries some really goofy ideas but it sells it and i'm i am always on board with something taking risks and doing something weird and different and this show certainly did that right right and now you know it it even makes the the subsequent or the or the previous uh, I should say uh, appearance of the statue take on new meaning because you know there's that the scene where I think I think it's Laurie who's who says you know why does he look so old and and True says because he is old yeah. <laughs> it's like literally true <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very funny it is it it was a it was a nice little uh, callback there. Uh, okay, so um, I also wanted to say that we get a character saying the end is nigh in front of a newsstand. 
uh-huh. which is basically the most Watchmen reference you can make. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not written on a sign, but it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it is exactly the... Uh, is exactly seen in Watchmen. And there were a couple moments in this episode that very much felt like we have to make sure we get these little Watchmen homages in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm that not... was that was Vite who said it, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. There was also a line that he said in that in that little section that struck me as really interesting, and I, I looked it up to try to figure out where it was from, and I, I meant to read a little bit of, about it more beforehand, but I forgot. But the line was something along the lines of like, "Palestine is given as a widow for Egypt," yes. and it. Uh, I looked up where it came from. It was like some kind of. Um older texts that had been uncovered or something, but I, I I wanted to look into that a little bit more, but kind of forgot. Um, maybe, maybe I'll do that before the next time that we, uh, we chat that we chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. So we, I want to just check off a couple of, of little things here. Uh, first of all, Bob Benson, was so scenery chewy in this episode. I just loved it. Just really going for it. Totally embracing the uh the villain revealing his plan. The thing that Laura yelled at him about um was it Laura? Yeah. Laura yelled at him about it in episode 7, I guess. Um I really enjoyed him just, you know, just whooping it up. Uh I loved that uh she says to him like you look stupid in those panties. And he says, I'm about to become the most powerful man alive, Lori. Waving my dick in people's faces seems overkill. Those those trunks were just... when. So when he, took, he takes his shirt off, and there's something, like, coming up out of the top of his pants. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, like, did he just, like, pull his, like, pockets out? Like, or his, you know... Like when he pulled his shirt out or his pockets just like coming up out and then he takes his pants off and I'm like, oh, my goodness. No, he has the actual Dr. Manhattan underwear on uh, such a great touch and and something that I feel like is kind of obvious to do, but also just at the same time, very inspired. It, it's a small touch that easily could have been overlooked, but works so well. Yeah. Uh, it also, I, I feel like one of the things that we saw when he was trying to recruit uh, Looking Glass, Wade, was that he was trying to spin Cyclops slash the Seventh Cavalry, whatever you want to call it, as sort of not being evil, just being like it's a counterbalance. And then when we saw him talk to Lori the last time. He basically goes in a little bit deeper on just how racist the organization is. But uh-huh. this time when we see him, he basically he says to Angela, and I don't even like saying this out loud, but he said, if you want one of my boys, I'll put you down like the black bitch that you are. Oh, for sure. We just see it getting progressively more insidious and evil. Yeah. Well, and, and he's even spouting things like, you know, they they took our guns and they made us apologize yep. and apo- uh-huh. and keep apologizing, which is, I mean, it's it's just it's textbook, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but there there was a lot about that scene that I, I think that the show, you know, gradually wants you to understand that really there are no good guys. But there's definitely a bad guy. 
and that more yes. than anything else, like, even if Lady True got Doctor Manhattan's powers, it wouldn't have turned out well. But it would never have turned out as badly as if Cyclops got the powers. Right. Yes, and there was a moment in this episode where I wasn't sure where things were going to go, and thankfully, like Bob Benson was enough of like a narcissistic maniac that he did not heed Angela's warnings. But I was like a little afraid that when she, you know, is this is Angela going to side with the racists to beat the bad guy? Right. That didn't happen. No, it thankfully, didn't. no, it didn't. Um, um, and the racists did get their comeuppance. Yes. Um, <laughs> in a gruesome manner. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but so, um, I also want to note that the White Knight was what revealed Doctor Manhattan to the Seventh Cavalry. That they were. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Although I will say that, um, you know, we see that the Seventh K technology does not work out as well as they thought it would. <laughs> you know, it literally uh, turns Bob Benson into just a a shining elevator full of blood with like a weird uh, gooey thing that Laurie steps on. Maybe yeah. Maybe that was his brain. I don't know. Um, but it seems like three years is not a lot of time to develop all that technology. He did have a lot of resources. Yeah, I guess so. Um. As a politician, yeah, he probably he probably flexed a lot to to get that going. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, do you watch uh, the Flash? Or how, how long did you watch the Flash for? By the way, the first two seasons. Did you see any of the Flash Arrow crossover episodes? Just like. Uh, I think the very first one. Okay, there's a yeah. I did gag. watch the very first one. There's a running gag part in the running pun where whenever Barry picks up Diggle and runs with him, the Diggle throws up afterwards, and that's essentially <laughs> yeah. what Looking Glass does here. Whenever he gets teleported, yeah. Yeah, we. I guess we didn't really. I mean, we've mentioned him, but we didn't really acknowledge like Looking Glass is back. Yeah, um, he's good again. He he's good again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he comes back in, um, in, you know, in uh, seventh K disguise. Um, and he says that he's come back to get something. Uh, we don't find out what that something is until later in the episode, but, um, did we find out what the something was? I think so. so well, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I think that what he was going back to get was the disc, the proof. Oh, maybe. Yes. Okay. That's kind of how I took that. Okay. That, that, um, that's interesting. I couldn't tell. I watched the episode twice, and I still, I wasn't sure if he was saying they killed him at his house. They tried to kill him at his house where he had gone back to get something, or if he was back where he was now to get something. You know, I wasn't sure where he was getting something from. Yeah, I was a little confused in that scene too because he, right. he also yeah. says something like he says something like you know they brought me here. And so at first I was thinking like, oh, okay, so like when they went to his house, they captured him and brought him back. But no, I think we're I think we're supposed to think, you know, he went back to his house. They came to get him. He beat them up, took one of their masks or something, and then came back to get something, which I presume to be the disc. Yes. Um, so we should also we should talk a little bit about, I guess the Cal Dr. Manhattan stuff in this episode. 
So we see him sort of teleported into this uh, cage that is made of um, old watch batteries melted down, which is something that we got in the sixth episode. I think we saw that there were like lithium watches that were essentially like powered by Dr. Manhattan technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they were collecting all of those watch batteries in the first episode. In the first I think. episode, yes, exactly. In their in their safe house. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Um, um, that yeah, that's interesting. It essentially made a, a cage that kind of interfered with his powers. I got very heavy uh, Sandman vibes from that. Um, interesting. Okay. Or you know, in the first issue of Sandman, where yep. the the wizards or whatever the sorcerers capture Morpheus. Um, and, uh, very kind of similar overlap in, in kind of the type of people, um, you know, I guess maybe not like politically, but ideologically who, who would try to trap a God essentially, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought there was an interesting overlap there. I agree. Um, and you know, basically the first attempt to drain his power does nothing but vaporize Bob Benson. Um, and and teleport them to the uh, kind of a downtown area see, that we've I seen th- a few times. I thought that that was done by Lady True. Well, so I assumed it was – I got the impression that it, it was all tied to whatever – you know, so, so they – I think uh, Angela or someone points out that everything that all of the seventh Calvary's tech is powered by true. And they say, well, that's just because we stole this from her. And Angela says, no, she let the, let you steal it. And so I, I was under the way I read it um, is that it was just kind of all tied and orchestrated by true that, you know, when the, when the, when they tried to activate it, it would all, happen but i mean either way it happens concurrently um they they uh he presses the button everything happens and then they are teleported to that area yeah um Uh, i would say that uh there is definitely a an interesting sort of a cross section between where I, I, I there's a lot of to talk about sort of where ideas came from in this show. Like for instance, we talked last week about how the idea to kill Judd comes from Angela through Doctor Manhattan back to Hood of Justice, right? How that's there's like a weird chain there, and mm-hmm. in this episode, how things actually happen, like basically Hood of Justice later on tells. Uh, Angela, her grandfather tells her, like, you know, it was it was Cal's idea to bring Lady True in. So, like, there's all this stuff that sort of where it's almost like inception of where ideas come from. And so it is hard to tell, like, what what was a Dr. Manhattan idea versus what was a Lady True idea mm-hmm. versus yeah, what was we, a combination of things. You just don't know. Right, right. And we finally get kind of, you know, clarification for what the relationship between Will and True is that. Um, you know, Will gives up Cal at Cal's 
not even request. I guess Cal knows that it will happen, so that mucks it up all a little bit. Consent, I guess, in a way, weirdly. Um, in or he he gives up Cal in order for Lady True to allow Will to get revenge on on Cyclops in the seventh K. Um, so it's this weird, you know, like mixing pot of interests and and you know betrayals and it just very not I, I wouldn't say like terribly convoluted but um i think it's kind of it, supposed it, to be that way though i think so yeah 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 it's it's very interesting i'm yeah. uh yes <laughs> we'll leave that at that for now um so i i, I do want to talk about uh so before he dies, Cal teleports Looking Glass, um, Laurie, and Vite back to Karnak to save the day, as they put it. And uh, my favorite, I mean, there were so many good uh, Vite line readings <laughs> this week, and we really have to give it up for, uh, really for all the actors. I, I do want to just pause for one second and say that I think that this is probably the best cast I could imagine for this show. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible the amount of people we got in this show. Yeah, I think I think every you know person here is kind of a revelation in their in their role. And I, I even kind of mentioned something um, in our um, so our multiversities year in review coverage. I, I mentioned especially the the characters who are playing established Watchmen yes. characters bring such a you know life and and kind of vibrancy to those characters in a way that you know unfortunately the Zack Snyder film version does not right um yeah like not I, I get this is kind of like an ending statement but um I think this show is the best sequel to Watchmen that we could ever expect to have Agreed. I I I, I don't. <laughs> it's kind of incredible that it exists, honestly. Yes. But so there, there is one Jeremy Irons uh, line reading. Laurie, when mm -hmm. they're in Karnak, says, "Do you think we're gonna be able to save John?" And he goes, "Oh, Laurie, I'm sure John is not dead already." <laughs> like just, <laughs> he just delivers it in this like he is not sad. He doesn't feel bad for her. He's just very much stated this matter of fact. It was great. Um, Jeremy Irons is so much fun in this in this episode, but in this show in general. It's just oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, he has been a treat. Yes. Um, so I, I have I have one big question that might be a nitpick I want to save till the end of the episode. Okay. But I want to ask my one sort of silly question here, which okay. is how do they have the number of the Dr. Manhattan phone booth to call? Yeah, I it, I have no question, idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it is. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like a. It's a who cares. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think. I mean, it's a good question. It's very convenient. Yeah, I. It is. Yeah, um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really know. But essentially, the uh, you know, <laughs> the plan to send a an army of tiny frozen squids. Is is an inspired one. Uh, although it is. Our friend Greg Matasevich pointed out that 
uh, Lady True says in the fourth episode, or I think actually Beyond says it in the fourth episode, that nothing short of a direct nuclear blast could destroy the Millennium Clock. She does say that. And then, I wonder if she means, like, specifically the... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if she meant, like, the, the casing that it was right, in. Right, right. Because when we see yeah. it, it's open, right? It is, And, and I think uh-huh. it's able to be destroyed because it's not... It is open to, like, accept the beam of nuclear energy or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. And... I also, you know, you could also maybe take that as just kind of like propaganda. Like, oh, sure, yeah. That's that's like under the guise of this of the Millennium Clock as this, you know, eighth or uh, first wonder of the new world or something. And that's in a way that is what it is, but it's also not the purpose that it's there to serve. You know, it's not there to be a monument necessarily. Um, so that could have just been fluff. Um, Yeah, I, I think there is a reading that allows you to not take that at face value. Sure. Yeah. Um. Um. Man, the 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 moment where the first couple of squids fall and one goes right through Lady True's hand and she lifts up her hand and looks through the hole in her hand. Just. Yes. <laughs> There was there was a movie recently or a thing where someone is shot through the stomach and someone else looks through that hole. What am I thinking uh, of? I don't know. I don't I don't recall seeing that. I feel like I just saw it. Hang on, I'm gonna look this up. Hole through stomach. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find this or not, but anyway, uh, it probably not. But I I feel like I just saw that in something relatively recently. But that's okay. Uh, yeah, a gruesome scene, and you can see that she um, that she realizes what's about to happen, and uh, she says "motherfucker" in Viet- Vietnamese, and then gets uh, gets crushed. Yeah. Um. Oh, we forgot to say before that she also vaporized all of the uh, all of the seventh K slash Cyclops people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh... Um, it was really interesting how um, Judd's wife, I forget her character's name. I forget so too. Mrs. Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Crawford. Um, how kind of resolutely she stands in the, in the face of, you know, what is about to happen. Whereas everyone else clearly panics and, uh, you know, they can't do anything. It happens so quickly, but I thought that was kind of striking. Yeah, I and uh, she's wound up being far more important than we thought she'd be. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, definitely. It also, I, I, I am, I am likely not going to rewatch this show for a while because I've watched each episode multiple times because I'm both podcasting and writing about it. But when mm-hmm. I go back and rewatch it, I think it's gonna be very interesting to watch Judd in the first episode now, knowing all that we know about Judd. Yeah. Um. Because he seems very, he seems like he really does care about Angela. He seems like Angela and Cal are really friends. And I know he's just acting, but it's, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just going to be interesting to watch those scenes again. It, w- it will be, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, he was very believable. And, and, and that's, you know, 
he 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 dies and we don't see anything after that and so i guess we'll never really know you know kind of where his headspace was we don't really see him playing a role in this other than you know in in going out and finding out retroactively all all of the things that he did I, i don't know yeah his character was one that's very interesting um i don't i don't know if you um if you've seen uh, *Knives Out* yet, I'm actually going tomorrow night to see it. Okay, okay. Well, it's. Uh, I'll just say this has not uh, been a great year for for Don Johnson in terms of playing characters who aren't like racist shitbags. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he also played Kenny Powers' father on *Eastbound and Down*, so okay. he was he was not great in that in that <laughs> either in, in that in that regard. Um, but yeah. This has been a, uh, yeah, this show was just so well cast. And again, like Don Johnson is, he he appears a little bit in the subsequent episodes, but he's basically a one episode star. Yeah. And he is so good. Yeah, he we, is really, really good. We've mentioned Gene Smart as, um, as Lori, who is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she delivers a really important line at the end of the episode, which she says, um, uh, people change, Adrian, or at least some of us do. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, a a very, uh, a very concise way of basically saying that that he has not changed at all, and that and it's. I thought it was very interesting that at the end of the of the show, much like at the end of the book, we get people at Karnak sending squids trying to save the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, seemingly, uh, Vite is going to face some form of justice now, um, which I thought was an interesting, uh, interesting place to take him. And I don't know how much you want to talk about where the show could go next if it does go anywhere i do kind of think that i would be okay if this was the end um yeah Yeah. let's um let's get through a couple more things then i want to spend the last chunk of the show talking about that okay um we also see there a vite says the fbi is going to arrest the president too and uh, because you know in his world nixon was not uh investigated and mm-hmm. uh, but that's a very prescient moment to today. Also, also by the way, he he says at one point in the beginning of the episode something about like how could that cowboy actor have been elected without me, mm-hmm. and which is again a Ronald Reagan joke as well. So just lots of yeah, lots of jokes around here. Um, so we get that the last scenes of the show are really between Will, uh, aka Hood of Justice, and Angela, and um, you know. Will gives a monologue about how he was sitting in that theater at that in that pretty much exact spot before his world changes. He confirms that he took the last name of Reeves because of Bass Reeves, something we obviously already knew, but you know, just he he says that. Um, he also you know kind of explains how how he and Cal had discussed all of this stuff, um, and. Um, he says specifically that wounds need air. I really like that line. Uh, basically, he was saying that you know he was that when he put on the hood, he didn't feel 
like he felt he felt anger and he felt all of this and how basically he needed to stop doing that because the more he did that, the more he was feeding the uh he was sort of feeding his own like the rot inside of him that once he let his wounds sort of not be covered by this mask, he was able to heal a little bit. Mm-hmm. I found that really, I found that I, I really enjoyed that speech he gave. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. And the, and the fact that, you know, he mentioned, you know, specifically that it wasn't just, it wasn't really even anger. It was, it was fear. Yeah. Um, that drove his actions, which, uh, is, I mean, I, I guess if you, I hate both sides isms, but is something that, I mean, fear is the driving factor, I think for all of, all of this. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's the whole Yoda thing, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, it's the root. Of course. Of course, it always comes back to Yoda with us. Always. Um, sometimes, sometimes, baby Yoda. Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know if you noticed when they were leaving the theater, the Dreamland Theater, all the letters were burned out except for Doctor M. I did notice that. Yeah. Yeah, that was you know, a little note there. Uh, they went back to the music of the musical Oklahoma for the final mm-hmm. episode. One yeah. of the last songs you hear is "Oh, What a Beautiful Morning," the the introduction song to Oklahoma. Um, I loved the look that Topher gave. When he saw Angela's uh, sister Knight costume, and sort mm-hmm. of figured out who she was, uh, it was a great scene. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know that was pretty late in the episode. I was a little like worried about like how that would affect his relationship with Angela because that is kind of a, I guess, a large betrayal in a way. But then we, you know we do see a sweet moment with them at the very end, so it, it seems like everything is okay. Yeah. Um... And that kid, uh, Dylan Shambing, was really excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he was apparently in uh, the HBO series Sharp Objects before this. Which I had oh, see. okay. So, um, yeah, but good, really, really good job by him. Again, everybody in the show was just so, so good. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, and then there's a really interesting line that I want to talk about. So... Angela puts the kids to bed, and then um, Will asks her if she needs help cleaning up all the eggs that were destroyed in the kitchen, and she says no, she has it. And he says to her, he says he's going to sleep for two days. Considering what he could do, you could have done more. And I guess what he's saying is that that maybe she is more apt or more um like suited to have that power or is he saying that like a normal person could do more than he could do how did you read that line i like that reading the second one that a normal that a a, that a regular person could do more because i think that's kind of also the you know the question with true is like she's wanting this power to be able to do what Dr. Manhattan couldn't. But I think like the idea that is kind of expressed is that like Dr. Manhattan's power is a really kind of impotent power in a way. It's, it's, it's the ability to do anything and also inherently do nothing because he is bound by 
a kind of weird like determinism that really strips him of any free will in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, <laughs> well, so that that's what makes the next thing even more interesting. So yeah. then we see that. Angela finds an unbroken egg in the carton of eggs, and there's no way that egg wouldn't have broken when she, when you know, Cal is is basically calling it to him with with his uh, powers, and she slams him into the ground. So this is a new egg, and she recalls the conversation they had in the bar the night they met, where she says that where he basically says he could, if he wanted to, he could put his powers into something, and someone would eat it, and then they would take his powers. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the idea that it's gonna be all of his powers necessarily, because she says in the scene she says, "So you're telling me if you put it in this egg and I and I ate it, uh, I could walk on water." And that's what and that's what she specifically asks him about, and he says like hypothetically yes. So then we see her go outside and eat that egg, just like swallow it up raw, Rocky style, and. The episode ends with her about to step onto the pool, and uh, we we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, um, and and you know this does kind of maybe answer the question I had from last episode when Cal's standing and on the water in the pool, and he says, "I want you to see me like this." I think he says, "You need to see me like this," or "You need me to see you need to see me like this." Yes, yeah. yes. Um, um, yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> I like I like that it just cuts. I I mean I knew it would. I knew that the episode was going to end with her putting her foot down toward the water and it would cut away before her foot actually touched the water. Yes. Um and we should say it was an I am the walrus reference. It was, yes. I yeah, am the Eggman. Uh-huh. <laughs> um Yeah. It, the cover by Spooky Tooth, which is a far oh. inferior uh version, but that's well, okay. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. cost I remember uh I believe Mad Men paid three quarters of a million dollars to play thirty seconds of Tomorrow Never Knows. So mm-hmm. HBO should have pockets that deep, but, you know, whatever. What's she going to do? Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we get into what might come next, just, I guess, any closing thoughts about this episode? I mean, I think I'm glad that ultimately – I. <sighs> I was afraid that the message and the and the kind of the like you said, you know, the show that was the first six episodes would end up becoming very muddled and uh, overshadowed by the events of seven and eight. And I'm glad that it came back around. I think I think I'm really satisfied with how it kind of resolved all of that, mostly in kind of the emotional catharsis for Will. Um, I think that that sold it. I, I ultimately like don't think that you can really have a like satisfying conclusion to that issue just because like this show like Watchmen can't fix racism, <laughs> you know? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, correct. It can be like I can it can be like a fun like fist pumpy thing that you can just be like, oh yeah. Um, 
but I think I think that it handled it really well. Um, I'm still like even after it's over, I'm I'm still the most uh, I guess like skeptical and and kind of iffy on the Doctor Manhattan aspect of the show. Like I think that there were some cool bits, but that's the the thing that I'm I'm most like. Did we actually need to do that? Um, could the show have still been good and interesting and not had that? Um, because I think it is the 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 thing that requires the most suspension of disbelief um, in an otherwise somewhat like more grounded version of Watchmen than I would have expected. I'm, which I mean, I guess in some ways Watchmen is fairly grounded. Um, the only quote superpower we really see comes from nuclear energy. Right, right. Um, so I'm, I, I don't know. I think I like it. I was trying to like think about how I liked it in relation to like, you know, early lost or early leftovers, and I, I need. I'll definitely need to sit with it. I, I definitely don't think that this show is a leftovers, but. No, but it also it never was could very be. good. It never could be. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It is. I mean, like I said, it's the best possible sequel to Watchmen that we could have ever gotten. Yeah. And just a couple of days after this episode, that wasn't that wasn't done by specifically Moore and, and Gibbons. Yes. Yes. Um, a couple of days after this episode comes out, we're going to get the finale of Doomsday Clock, which is the comics sequel. And I think we can all say that Doomsday Clock is no Watchmen TV series. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, by the way, real quick Lost reference. Did you notice how Vite's computer is basically the computer from the hatch? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, love that. Um, so the sort of um, – the the two things I wanted to discuss before we get to what comes in the future is I wanted to talk about Vite for a second. So Vite tells the game warden – that he had eight years to kill. At what point do you think Vite got bored and started planning his escape? I would bet like almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, because just like, like time frame wise, we know that because Lady True says to him in 2008, in five years, the satellite is going to capture Europa. And then he's there four years, and he makes her the message. So that time frame all lines up. But so now we're talking, it's 2014, 2013, and we know the show takes place in 2019. And so he has to wait for her to then send a ship to get him. Um, but, but it seems like his plan to escape needed to have started very, very early. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know how he also like somehow ingrained it in these what? creator in these creations that he needed the the horseshoe. That's, right, right. That was really clearly part. A, a part of the plan that would have need, he 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 clearly told them all of this from the very beginning, at least in some way. Right. Some. Um, yeah, and just also like how much time it would take to dig that hole with a horseshoe. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then also like sharpen half of the horseshoe to use as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah, but just you know, just I, I think it's interesting that Vite was so willing to go to Europa, 
and then so quick to get out of there. Yeah, well, and, you know, I kind of, we, we talked about, you know, like, what brought Vite to that moment. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of think that his meeting, his meeting with True would be a good catalyst to kind of send him into that kind of depression. Yes, absolutely. And he tells John that he figured out he was on Europa. He didn't figure that out. True did. Right. Yeah. Ooh, good call. Some stolen valor there. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing I, I did want to talk about is um, just sort of the overall tone of the series. Do you think now that we've seen sort of Lindelof's plan for this series in as a whole, do you think there's any way a series that hewed closer to the comics tone would have been successful? Well, honestly, I, I really feel like this show was very close to the tone of the comic. I don't know. I feel like this show had a warmth the comic didn't have. Maybe. I think some of that maybe just comes naturally as I, I this this show definitely had more com- comedic aspects I think for sure. Yes. And the absolutely. cast was very charming. Yes. No one in Watchmen proper is charming. <laughs> That's fair. And I don't I don't mean like the film either like the comic itself no one is charming. Um I, I would agree that that is kind of a key difference there. Yeah. I just feel like almost nobody has a family. in, And, and I don't mean a family as in a wife and children. I mean, like, we don't hear, you know, Lori has a fucked up relationship with her mom. Vite's parents are dead. He doesn't seem to have any connections. John has no family. Dan really has no family. Rorschach has no family. These are all very much loners on a loner's quest. And I feel like this show is all about every character is tethered by their family somehow. Yeah. Yeah. My last question. I don't know. I I, I, I would just say I I don't think that – going off of that, I don't think that a show that hewed more closely to uh, Watchmen proper would have done as well. I don't. I agree with that. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, one of my big complaints – with last week's episode was I still didn't necessarily buy the um the Angela Manhattan romance. Mm-hmm. It just kind of came out of the blue as we talked about, pardon the blue pun. Um did you were you more sold on that romance by the end of this episode? No no, yes and no. I mean I the eighth episode did a lot to like ease like some of my misgivings from the seventh um i won't say that this episode did much more um but i think more of my misgivings just have to do with my general kind of like iffiness on the manhattan redux concept sure yeah i I still don't necessarily buy the love story traditionally Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's okay i really don't need to um yeah (laughs) Also, I think uh, one we... one thing I did. Oh, go sure. ahead. No, no, go. I was gonna say one small thing about Manhattan is I, I just thought it was very interesting how, probably just from a like budget standpoint, 
um, Cal was just like, you know, painted, painted blue for the episode. He never like glue, he, he wasn't glowing, which I feel like in like Zack Snyder's Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan is always glowing. He's never really just like pale and he never looks painted. He's always CG, but I feel like this version of Dr. Manhattan is probably a lot more faithful to the comic. Um, yes. you know, it's probably more in line with what the Dr. Manhattan from the comics would look like IRL. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, Manhattan glows a little bit in this, um, not necessarily in this, uh, in this episode, but, but we but see some in the, some in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, but just like the scenes where he's sitting in the cage and he is just, he is just a blue man, you know, uh-huh. Powder coated. Yes, exactly. Um, I also, I, I think it's. I, I was doing some some research on. I I wanted to find a quote from, uh, and I'm gonna butcher his last name, uh, but the actor who plays Cal, um, Yahya Abdul Mateen the second, and uh, <laughs> I I saw a lot of conversation about his uh acting in the nude mm-hmm. and yeah there is a fair amount of his uh his dick in this episode and and in the prior one uh-huh. um yeah and uh i wonder how much of that i know that when um what's when billy credit was dr manhattan he said like oh that's not me at all that's totally like a, an enhanced thing and i i thought it was a really interesting I, I didn't know how they would handle the penis of dr manhattan which is a weird thing to say but like I think it's so important that he doesn't give a shit. That mm-hmm. his nudity, like the, the nudity of Dr. Manhattan to me was always about just like, this is a petty um, human concern, right? Um, right. And I think that they did a nice job of balancing that without just being like gratuitous about it. Yeah. Um, and overall, I think that the Dr. Manhattan is, like you said, pretty comics accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to like, not to like be a prude or anything, but like, I have like in the past had kind of like issue with certain HBO shows with kind of like how gratuitous they are with nudity, like particularly like female nudity yes, and like how that can border on, you know, exploitive, like being exploitive. Um, and the show like didn't, it didn't do that. It didn't follow that like HBO trope. I don't think that there was any outside of, you know, the, um, I think the only nudity in the show were the um, the the clone people, you know, the mime and marionette, and then yeah, Doctor Manhattan. So um, I saw a thing. Uh, you may have seen this too, of uh, uh, where Evangeline Lilly had like mentioned um, during the filming of Lost, she had kind of like felt pressured in a few scenes to like bear some skin, which that you know was network television. There was only so far you could go. Um, but I've, I've always kind of like wondered how that might have affected like the people who would the higher ups who had worked on Lost. Sure. Yeah. In in kind of the current climate. So, you know, I, I was thankful that even though it was on HBO, it didn't feel the need to be gratuitous in that way. Yes. And, uh, you know, again, uh, call us prudes or whatever. But I think I think it's certainly worth discussing. Yeah. Um, uh, well, do, 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 do. I'm, I'm just going through my notes here, 
and seeing if there's anything else that I totally forgot about. No, I, I think I think we're in pretty good comp I think we're in pretty good company here in terms of we've talked about all the things I really wanted to talk about. Is there anything else before we get to the what happens next conversation? No. No, I'm good. Okay. So like you said, uh Lindelof has said that, you know, there are that he is not opposed to a second season, but that there are no like concrete plans right now for a second season. And I think both of us would be totally fine if the show does not come back. I would. I think that is probably the best thing, honestly. <laughs> uh, but if it does come back, what would you like to see it be? Um, only because I want more Jeremy Irons, Ozymandias. I would love for the uh, second season to deal with the trial of Adrian Veidt. Not on Europa, but on Earth. Right, right. Yeah. The on the the uh, the him facing trial for the events of Watchmen and everything else he's done. Yeah, I I do think it's interesting. I meant to say this before and I forgot to that the only characters that died on the show were the second incarnation of things we'd already seen, like the second Senator Keen. The, technically the second Dr. Manhattan-like body, right? And mm-hmm. then the second, like, the second Vite in, in Lady True, that that uh, it's, I find it really interesting that both Ozymandias and Laurie Blake survived. Yeah, that's interesting. As did the sort of uh, other vigilantes. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. I want more looking glass, too. Uh, things yes. that I want. I want more Looking Glass. I want more Vite. I think we could use. I think we could do more Lori. I think that if there was a second season, we could do some Lori and Dan stuff. Yes. Um, I think that that would be interesting. As much as I love Regina King as Angela, I would hope that we never see her again, and that we would keep the, or or at least not in a. Um, kind of like primary capacity only because I would love to preserve that mystery. Yes, I'll agree with that. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the future would hold for her necessarily. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the I show. feel like, yeah, her, her arc ends, I think in a really satisfying way. Yes. Agreed. Um, I was wondering sort of what she was, what she had to tell the kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well your dad was dr manhattan and yeah um, he died but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but overall i do think that her arc wrapped up really well um i would like to see you know this was a very tulsa story and i'm afraid that if you get out of tulsa then you get out of looking glass territory and you That's get true. out of uh you know, uh, Angela territory, which, you know, I, I think you could, well, I agree with you that I think her arc wrapped up really well. I love Regina King. I do too. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I think you could maybe make a case for, I, I could see looking glass wanting to get out of Tulsa and, and maybe Lori pulling some strings or, or getting, getting him involved in what she's doing 
I could see that. That's that's actually very that's a good point. Yeah. I I would uh, definitely want to see more looking glass. I think that the one of the many issues with doing more Watchmen is that the Dr. Manhattan story's over. Mm-hmm. Yes. Un- unless you're doing it with Angela, which I think the ambiguity is the better uh the better you know way to go with that. But you can't really do a new Ozymandias story that isn't the trial of Ozymandias, right? Mm-hmm. You can't really do... I, I mean, to me, the story that makes the most sense is actually Laurie as the main character of next season. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that. Um, yeah, I, I could see a second season... If they wanted to do a direct continuation, I think it would maybe be a really fascinating idea to make Watchmen become like an anthology thing and just do something completely different in this world, mm-hmm. um, which could be really interesting. Um, I feel like there is a lot of there. I mean, there is potential there, but if they were going to do a direct continuation with this cl- this cast, I think, yeah, focusing on Laurie with Looking Glass as a supporting character and a like running you know, plot in the season being the trial of Vite as this very inflammatory and dramatic thing. Because I think it would be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think you'd have to cast Dan Dryberg then. I think you definitely would, because I think he would have to come into play somehow. He would be like, I mean, he would be called to testify exactly I'm sure. yeah 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 which is a very organic way to bring him into the show and reignite some tension between him and Lori. i guess we're i mean if if uh abrams doesn't want to do it i'm mean, not abrams lindelof doesn't want to do it i guess you know we're writing it right here we can go ahead and do it <laughs> That's um <true>. <laughs> call us hbo uh, <laughs> we've got we've got a pitch here <laughs> yeah um but I, I I I think more than anything, I would like to see the story end. I think I would too. It's okay to let things end. Um, Even though I the, know the tagline of the show was nothing ever ends. Nothing ever ends. I know, and and like I mean, I think that this show has been really successful for them. I think that it is more than likely that we will get a second season. I think it's more than likely that Lindelof will not be involved. I don't know about that. He he has. He's Maybe not cagey. to the same capacity. Sure, I could see that. Okay, I could see him being like an executive producer. Yeah, and maybe direct like an episode. Maybe. I don't think he's ever directed or, anything. Or actually. not direct. I'm not direct. Right? Maybe like write an episode because I think he did write. He co-wrote. He, he yeah, wrote he or co-wrote on... eight of the nine episodes. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I could maybe see him like taking more of a um advisory role maybe like write the the um kind of general plot like be involved in plotting out the season but maybe take a less hands-on role yes agreed yeah um which i think that this season did benefit from a very like clear creative vision i just mm. I 
it would be very interesting to have a second season because I don't see how a second season could top the scope of this season. Yeah. But but I, I this season went way bigger than I expected it to. Exactly. Exactly. Um Well I feel comfortable wrapping up here. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um we'll be back in the future. Uh we have a couple of episodes lined up. One Zach doesn't even know about yet, but I'm gonna tell him about after we record after we stop recording here. Um and uh yeah, so you can find us every week on the DC three cast and We'll be back here uh, in not too long to, to, to unpack this with our friends Greg Matasevich and Matthew Melikov. And, uh, yeah, some more fun stuff coming up, too. So, Zach, where can folks find you on the Internet? I am on Twitter at WilkerFox. And I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. We're also going to try and do a PDPedia a episode. Um, we should probably wait until the third vinyl edition of uh, Watchmen soundtrack comes out because each of those soundtracks has a lot of sort of important information in there. Mm-hmm. So is that we'll, the last one? That is the last or, one. The second okay. one is out, but uh, and I've ordered a copy, but it has not arrived just yet. Um, so maybe we'll wait till that third one comes out and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sort of include that material in there as well. Um, any other loose ends that you can think of tweet at us about it. I'm sure we forgot to talk about stuff. That's one thing, you know, we we've had a bunch of people, uh, friends of ours basically say, you didn't talk about this or this or this. And like, well, you know, we try and keep this to about an hour and there is so much in each episode to talk about. I'm sure we forgot to talk about stuff. If there's stuff we forgot to talk about that you would like us to, uh, talk about, you know, give us a, give, give us a call, uh, a tweet rather, give us a tweet and we'll, we'll figure it out. So, Uh, Thank you for listening, and uh, until next time, who watched The Watchmen? Zach and Brian watched The Watchmen.